This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Jesus, I have decided to give you this. Really? Yeah. You know whoever sits here makes all the decisions, right? I know, and I'm always making decisions, but you make the perfect decisions, so you just sit right down and start making them. Wow, I'm honored. I mean... This feels great. Kathleen, guess what? I just got my new credit card. It's time to go shopping. Oh, really? I thought your husband and you were going to pay off debt. Oh, yeah. I mean, money's kind of tight, but I figured he doesn't have to know about it. So do you want to oh. go with me? No. No? Why? Uh, what I mean is, uh, I don't know. Um, so let me check my schedule, and then I'll get back to you. Okay, yeah, give me a call. Okay. Kat, what's going on? What do you mean? Well, I'm kind of one cheek in it here. Look, I just want to make sure we're on the same page. You wanted me to sit here, right? Well, of course. And whoever sits here makes all the decisions? Right. So what's the problem? Uh, there's not a problem. I just... I don't know what I was thinking. Really, please. Here, sit down. As long as you're sure. I'm sure. Okay. okay. So, let's start over. Okay. All right. Cat. I noticed that you've been losing your temper a lot lately. Right. So, okay, Jesus, you know what? I know what you're going to say, but um, see, you, do? you don't know the whole situation, you know? Oh, I, well, all I'm saying is that your attitude is a decision. Yes, of course, but I have a lot going on right now. Well, I know you're under a lot of pressure. Pressure? Jesus, you don't understand pressure, okay? This I, isn't working, Kat. What? We can't both sit on the seat. It's either me or it's you. Okay, I know. You know, I just, I didn't think it was going to be this hard, but here, just take it. No, I'm not going to take it. You have to give it to me. Okay, here. Kathleen, make a choice. I can't. You just did. You know, we could just turn around and go home, right? <laughs> that really is. That really is the message of the morning. And that's the tension that we live in every single day. Don't you live in that tension every day? Yeah. Well, this morning we're going to talk about God's purposes in life and... Uh, it's an absolutely great topic. I can't think of one that's more applicable to our lives. And so I welcome you along on that journey. For those of you who are brand new to New Life this morning, you're our guests. Welcome. We want you to feel at home. I'm not going to say anything to put you on the spot. We're not going to leave you behind in the service. Uh, one of the things that you will find about New Life is that uh, this is a very um, Jesus-oriented church. Bible-believing church, but our teaching is very, very practical. It means you're going to get a chance to learn something this morning that you can actually go out and put to use in your life this week. That's why we're here, and we're all going to learn something this morning that we can go out and, and put to use in our lives right now. So um, welcome along on that journey. Um, I, I want to invite you to open up your programs this morning. And we're going to retrieve something out of our programs this morning to um, get us up and running and where we should be. So if you will uh, take out the teaching notes that look like this, then uh, we'll, get, we'll get started with um, where we are. Now last week, last week we talked about three distractions that will sort of take us off of the path where we need to be. This morning, we're going to talk about three keys to having God accomplish His purposes in our lives. And uh, so, um, last week were things to avoid. This week, 
things to embrace and things to put into our lives as we walk along this journey. David's story. We're in the life of King David. This is the final sermon in a series called um, David, uh, appropriately titled, right? David. Um, David, we did David the shepherd, David the, David the, the, um, the what? Oh, you guys are great. David the fugitive and today David the king. Now I'm back on track. David the king. David the shepherd was seeking God's presence. David the fugitive was actually seeking after God and following after God and, and finding what God had for him in life. And David the king is finding God's purposes and serving God's purposes and uh, uh, last week trusting God's will. So here we go. David was born in obscurity. I wrote in my notes that David's life reads like a movie plot because it was filled with drama. It was David started in obscurity. He, he started from a position of great disadvantage. That he was born, his mother probably was not an Israelite. David was neglected by his father. He was scorned by his older brothers. He was assigned to the lowest task in the family. And that was being out on the hills with, with the sheep that he had. But here's what I want you to understand. God had great purposes for David's life. Now there's a message in there for you and me. And the message for you and me is this. You may have been born in great disadvantage. You may have been neglected by your father. You may have been abused by your father. You may have been neglected by your mother. You may be scorned by all of your relatives. But God has great purposes for your life. And, and listen to this. If you leave God on the stool of your life, then God can accomplish those purposes. And as long as David left God on the stool of his life, then God's purposes were accomplished in, in him. Once or twice, he, he sort of pushed God off the stool and got on himself. And he got in trouble during those times. But as long as he allowed God to be making the decisions of his life, David learned something that I want to teach all of us this morning. I want to give us all a very simple statement, and I want you to write it down in your notes. There's no fill-in-the-blanks for this, but I want you to write it down in your notes, and then I'm going to have you say it out loud with me. Are you ready? Here's what I want you to write. God's purposes, my reality. God's purposes, my reality. Can you say that out loud with me? Ready? God's purposes, my reality. That's the truth. You see, as long as David left God on the throne of his life, then God's purposes became the reality in which he lived. And when we compare God's purposes with any other purposes we could have in this life, the other purposes just fade in comparison to that. Because it's God's purposes that we want to become the reality of our lives. Now, how did David get started on that journey? Well, very simply, God sent a prophet to his house. The prophet's name was Samuel. 
And Samuel said, David, God has great purposes for your life. I want to anoint you to be the next king of Israel. And we learned last week that, that there were some great inconveniences that were connected with, with God's purposes in his life. But David embraced those purposes in spite of those inconveniences. But here's the point I want us to get this morning. In order for David, in the reality of his life, in order for it to be God's purposes, he had to accept the messenger that God sent to him. You see, David lived a thousand years before Jesus came to this earth. And so God sent to David a prophet by the name of Samuel. Well, God sends to you and to me and has sent to the entire world more than a prophet. God sent whom? His son. And as long as David followed Samuel, God's prophet, God's purposes were accomplished in his life. Fast forward a thousand years, fast forward 3,000 years to our time, and the same principle is true. And that is, as long as we follow the one that God sent to us, which is his son, then God's purposes become our reality that we get to live in. So right here, at the very beginning of the message, before I teach you anything else, I realize that some of us have never made the decision to become a follower of Jesus. We've come to church. We may have hung around the church. Some of you may have drug us here against our own will. But the bottom line is, until we become followers of Christ then God's purposes never become our reality because, listen to this, God accomplishes His purpose through those who become followers of Christ. Can you remember that and say it out loud with me? I'll say it one more time. Ready? God accomplishes His purposes through those who become followers of Christ. Let's say that together. God accomplishes His purposes through those who become followers of Christ. Now, everything I'm going to teach you this morning after this can help you become a better person, but if you decide not to become a follower of Christ, though you will be a better person, God will never accomplish His purposes in your life. And of course, we are here to call you to that wonderful place with God. So I want you, if you would, to take your programs one more time. I want you to pull out the card that looks like this. It says start here on this side. And so uh, one of the things that we do is uh, in this church is really important part of what God has called us to do as a church. We want to connect with you. We don't want anyone to get lost in the crowd. So on the bottom of where it says start here, you'll see a place for your name. I would like for us all to put our names in there. If you are new to New Life, Please put in as much information as you feel comfortable. We'll handle your information with integrity. We certainly won't be dunning you for donations or hitting you up or, or, or bugging you. But uh, we do want to connect with you, and we do want to make sure that as you seek after God, that we can become partners with you. So if we put our names and email addresses and anything else down there that we can, that we feel comfortable with, then I want you to turn the card over, and on the back side, it says, I would like to apply the teaching by. We're only going to look at the very first option. The very first option says, I would like to apply the teaching by choosing to become a follower of Jesus. And I want to pray. I want to pause and pray right now. 
for those in our audience who have never made that choice. Lord Jesus, even now as we prepare to get into the heart of the teaching, we realize that that teaching can only take us so far until we decide to follow you as David decided to follow the message you sent through Samuel. So Lord, as we stand at the crossroads of our life, would you give us grace in this moment to choose to follow Jesus? Speak to our hearts, even those of us who are new or those who have been hanging around for a while, that, Lord, we might leave this place knowing that we are on board with your purposes because we're now following Jesus. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There are three things that you and I need to do in order to become followers of Christ. And you just did two, okay, if you made that decision. Number one, you have to decide. No one can make that decision for you. Number two, you have to communicate that decision. If you, if you make a decision but you don't tell God, you don't tell anybody else, that's not going to change your life. Um, and then number three, you have to act. And you just did two of those if you check that. You made a decision and you communicated. And uh, number three, we want to come alongside with you and show you how to act on that decision so that it becomes more than just something you did in church. It becomes a life-changing decision for you for the rest of your life and not just for your life but for eternity as well. So David got on board with God's purposes and, and, and David made this choice to follow the instructions that God had given him. So how did God accomplish his purposes in David's life? Well, there are three keys to having God accomplish his purpose in our life and, and David's life illustrates all three of them very, very well. So let's go to key number one, okay? Three keys to serving God's purposes. And the first one is spiritual development. You know, David led in a way, he led the way in spiritual development, not only for himself, but in his family, but for the whole nation of Israel. And it came out of a deep desire that was in David's heart. So I want to go straight to a psalm that David wrote where he was writing on paper what was going on in his heart. And and here's what was going on in David's heart. He said, Teach me your decrees, O Lord. I will keep them to the end. Give me understanding, and I will obey your instructions. I will put them into practice with all of my heart. Make me walk along the path of your commands, for that is where happiness is found. By the way, does that sound like someone who was into spiritual development and growth? Yeah, that's somebody who's eager to learn and eager to apply. He goes on to say, Give me an eagerness for your laws, for understanding why you say to do what I should do and why I shouldn't do what I shouldn't do, rather than what? The love of... Boy, David could have written that today, couldn't he? Yeah, in our culture. He goes on to say, Turn my eyes from worthless things and give me life how? Through your word. Reassure me of your promise made to those who fear you. Help me abandon my shameful ways, for your regulations are good. I long to obey your commandments. Renew my life with your goodness. In my notes, I wrote down underneath this, 
a very simple thing, and that is there are no, no shortcuts. There are no shortcuts. In fact, here's the teaching principle out of this. No matter who I am, personal spiritual development is the key that unlocks the door to all of God's purposes in my life. That means that if I'm not into spiritual development, the door is locked. I could go to church all I want to go to church. I could go to a life group every single week. I could learn all about the Bible and, 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 and become an expert in Scripture and in Bible characters and all that stuff. But if I'm not into actual spiritual growth and development down in here, then in the end, the rest of it actually makes no difference because God will never accomplish His purposes in my life. Now think with me just for a minute. The path of Christianity is strewn with the debris of spiritual leaders who are not into spiritual development. Some of them very famous, right? Well known. These were people who studied the Bible. These were people who stood and taught the Bible. These were people who claimed to be great spiritual leaders. And thousands of people got in line behind them only to find out what was going on in here. No spiritual development. You know, at first it all looked good. But you know, the interesting thing about life is the longer you live it, the more who and what you are becomes evident to everybody around you. Have you noticed? Yeah. And, and friends, it's real easy to take this principle and assign it to people like me, pastors, and say, boy, that's right, we want a pastor who's really into the spiritual development. I agree, but I want you to know this. Your children want parents who are what? really into spiritual development. You know what your neighbors want? Your neighbors want neighbors who are really into spiritual development. Because you know the last thing that the path of Christianity needs is more spiritual debris. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Spiritual integrity. So the concept of growth, spiritual growth, not just Bible knowledge, but the actual formation of the character of Jesus in us so that we can see people as Jesus sees them. We can interact with them as Jesus interacted with them. We can love them as Jesus loved them. We, we can minister to them as Jesus ministered to them and do it with pure hearts and do it with pure motives. It, it, it's learning to have the character of Christ in us. When we get into spiritual development, And we say, oh God, change me, grow me, develop me, so that your purposes become my what? My reality that I get to live in. Then God accomplishes his purposes through us. So there are no shortcuts. You can't just say, well, I, I, you know, building character, that takes a lot of work. There's got to be an easier way, right? There's not. Because before God can change your world, He's going to start by changing you and changing me. So that's point number one. Now, point number two is this. Spiritual development leads to vision. And the point here is that David led with great vision. 
And the interesting thing is a lot of times when it comes to vision, we like to assign that just to leaders. And it's true. Leaders have to be great vision casters, and they have to be able to cast vision in such a way that people really want to get involved with it. But I want to challenge you this morning that wherever you are, God wants you to live with great vision. Now, I'm going to read you the passage that I read at the very first Sunday. And, And God says, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. But I want you to underline the last part of it. He will do... What's the next word? Everything. You think that might take some vision? It's going to take a lot of vision. And here's the teaching principle that comes out of that, out of that vision. And that is, no matter who I am, no matter what responsibility God has given me, He wants me to fulfill it with a growing vision. If you're a dad, God wants you to fulfill your fatherhood with a growing vision of what that looks like. If you're a mother, God wants you to be a mother that has growing vision, a learning mother, a growing, a developing mother. If, if you have a job, God wants you to go to work, and He wants you to have a sense of vision and progress and growth and development in the workplace, wherever you are. Now, David didn't get to go to college. He was a shepherd, and he pretty much got translated from the shepherd field to the fugitive life and from being a fugitive to being king. But I want to read you the kind of vision that David received from God and lived out. Okay, I wrote down several things that David did. Number one, David brought unity to the entire nation of Israel, which was divided. There's no place for this in your notes if you're looking for blanks. All right? So you can write it down if you want to, but otherwise you can just listen. Number two, David conquered Jerusalem and made it the capital city of the nation of Israel, which it has remained for 3,000 years. Number three, David expanded Israel's borders to their greatest extent. David was not satisfied with just this tiny little nation because he he read what God said through Moses that God was going to take the nation of Israel and expand its borders. And you know what David said? Why not while I live? Why wouldn't God do that in my lifetime? Have you ever thought about the borders of your life and where God would want to expand them during your lifetime? David organized a national government. Prior to David's time, there was no national government. If you were to study the life of his predecessor, who was the first king of Israel, he had no national government. But listen to what David did. David developed a standing army. Saul never had one. David developed a standing army of 288,000 men organized into 12 different divisions. Man of great vision. He set up a national treasury department. I'm not sure that was a good thing. Yeah, it was actually. Okay. He set up four divisions of gatekeepers, which would be sort of like um, gate guards for his capital city of Jerusalem. He set up two regional governors to govern the land, one west of the Jordan and the other east of the Jordan River. He installed 4,000 judges across the nation of Israel, and organized them by divisions and regions. But David wasn't done. 
David looked at, at their church and he realized, oh my goodness, we have this national religion, we have this tabernacle, we have the priests who are all the people from the tribe of Levi and the descendants of Aaron, and David's going, and they're not organized. There were 38,000 of them and no organization. David said, we have to do something about that. So he organized and structured their worship services and the personnel. He set up 24 divisions of priests. He set up 15 divisions of tabernacle helpers. And he set up 24 divisions of musicians. We have two worship teams. Soon to have three. David had 24. Yeah. Now he was a man of great vision. And what I want you to see... And what I want all of us to see is that life gets dynamic when we decide to get out of the rut and into vision. And say, okay, God, I'm tired of just doing the same thing over and over as a married couple. We get up, we take the kids to school, we go to soccer, we come home, we survive the week, we get up on Monday to do what? Same old thing. Wow. God, would you breathe some new vision into our marriage? Would you breathe some new vision into how we can parent our kids? Would you breathe new vision? I've got this ministry I work in. I stand at the doors and I hand out programs to people as they come in. It's a great ministry. Would you give me a creative way to do that? Maybe not standing on your head, but give me a creative way to do that that brings new vision into this so that I can be a growing and developing person. Because whatever responsibility God has given me, he wants me to do it with a growing vision for how that ministry or that service or that responsibility can grow. And when I do that, I unlock the door to God's ultimate purposes in my life. Because I've noticed this. I've read the Bible from cover to cover. And there's not one single person that got in touch with God and God said to them, don't touch a thing, just keep doing everything you're doing. That message is never there. Because, boy, can you imagine how boring life would be if that was God's message? But God says he's always calling us forward. Great vision. Number three. Humility. David served and led with humility. Is humility a good thing or a bad thing? Positive or negative? You know, I found an interesting thing about humility. We love it in others. Don't we? And boy, we struggle to put it in our own life. In fact, I believe that our human nature is wired such that if there was a way we could go through life and force everyone to be humble but us, we would. And we would think we had the best of both worlds. But the truth is, humility unlocks the door for God's purposes in our lives. You know, one of David's most endearing qualities was the fact that this shepherd boy who had become king of the nation, never saw himself as anything other than just another person. He never put himself above the men in his army. 
He would get out and fight with them. He would go to war with them. He would get on the battlefield with them. I'm going to read you a story. It's a, it's a very little-known story, but I know you can relate to it. And so let's take a look at it. David remarked longingly to his men. I've got to set up the story for you. David is involved in a battle. And if you know anything about ancient warfare, they usually didn't go to war in the winter. In fact, there's even a passage in the Bible that says, in the springtime when men go to war. So you get these soldiers been cooped up all winter, you know, in their homes, and spring comes, let's go beat up on somebody, right? So that's what they would do. They would go out in the spring and the summertime, and they would go to war and, and you know, and, and do the manly thing. Well, I want you to picture with me a hot summer day. And it's a hot summer day on the battlefield, and the battle is out there, and David is participating in the battle. And, of course, in those days, you know, what did you carry your water in? Well, it was not a camelback, I can tell you that, all right? You carried your water in a leather pouch. Now, do you know what leather pouches are made from? Horse and cattle hides. I want you to picture with me, I know it's revolting, but what does water taste and smell like that's been stored in cowhide in 100 degree weather? It's not pleasant. It's like, it's like drinking cow sweat, all right? I know. That's nasty, isn't it? So David's in the battle, and he's, hung, he's thirsty, and he wants some water, and he looks down at that leather pouch, and he's thinking, am I that thirsty? And he says, now look, David remarked longingly to his men, oh, how I would love some of that good water from the well by the gate in Bethlehem. How would David know what that water tasted like? That was his hometown. That's more than likely where he and his family drew their water when he was growing up. And David remembered how fresh that water was, cold and straight from the well. Now the next statement says, So the three broke through the Philistine lines and drew some water from the well by the gate in Bethlehem and brought it back to David. Now the three were David's three major generals. And David said, man, I wish I had some of that water. And those three got aside and said, let's go get it for him. And they literally risked their lives. They fought their way through the enemy lines. They got all the way to Bethlehem. They drew the water out. They fought their way back through the enemy lines and brought it to David and said, here. Now notice what David did. But he refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out as an offering to the Lord. He said, the Lord forbid that I should drink this. This water is as precious as the blood of these men who have risked their lives to bring it to me. So David did not drink it. Do you understand what that means? David looked at them and said, your lives are as valuable as mine. I'm no better than you. In fact, I can't believe that you would do that for me. It was beyond what he could comprehend. Because David always put himself on the level of the people he was with. Now here's the teaching principle out of that for you and me. No matter how much God accomplishes through me, it's still about what? Still about others. David got that. 
No matter how much God accomplished through him, it was still about others. Always had been, and it always would be. It was what endeared him to his people. And I'm going to close this portion by reading you a quote. It's a quote from Mother Teresa. And um, I don't think I'll ever forget this quote because it's life-changing. She said, Even God can't fill a vessel that's already full of itself. Well, there's some truth in that. Even God can't fill a vessel that's already full of itself. Spiritual development, friends, is the key that unlocks the door to God's purposes in our lives. And when we get on board with spiritual development, God will begin to raise the vision in our lives in every area of responsibility. And as he raises that vision, Satan will come along and say, you're making progress. You're doing better than the people around you. You're way better than the people around you. And he will try to tempt you through pride. Humility is the only quality that will keep you in a place of spiritual development and great vision. And as you embrace those three, you will not leave behind a path of spiritual debris you will leave behind a path of wonderful accomplishment because God's purposes will have become your reality. I want you to take your Connect card, if you would. And on the back, we're going to look at the other options as we close. And there are three more options. And the first, uh, the, the, the second option that's there is I will pray five times this week about my own spiritual development. Does that sound healthy? Shake your head like this. That sounds very healthy. I, tomorrow is Monday. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Um, boy, if God calls you to this, and I sure hope He does, that you will join me in praying every single day, God, would you grow me spiritually? Would you show me the next step in my life that I could take a step forward in following after you? That I could take a step forward in my development and growth as a Christian? Number three, bring fresh vision to three areas of responsibility. That will get you out of the rut, and that will get you into growth and development. So while you're praying those five times about spiritual growth and development, then just tag on to the end of that, God, would you give me fresh vision in three areas? Now, ask God to reveal to you the three areas that are most stale in your life. Because those are probably the ones where he wants to start and breathe fresh life. And then last of all, I would like to intentionally honor and serve someone who is under my care. By the way, if you do this with fanfare, it does not count. Yeah, that's like being proud of how humble you are. It just doesn't work, all right? So you're going to find someone who's under your care and just going to bless them. And it's going to be a reminder to you that you are on a level plane with whoever that is. Now normally at this time, I would pray. And this morning we're going to pray. And while you're listening to God, the worship team is actually going to sing a prayer. It is our prayer. 
And I have to tell you, it's one of the most challenging prayers that I've ever heard in my life. And I want to challenge every single one of us to pay attention to the lyrics and to pray this prayer and mean every single word. You know, David was a psalmist, and he wrote... He wrote his songs, which we call psalms, which are in the Bible. He wrote them 3,000 years ago, but the words of those psalms are just as applicable today as they were 3,000 years ago because they're based on the timeless truths that God gives. Well, the prayer that the worship team is going to sing over us was written in 1874. So it's 130 or 40 years old now, but it's just as applicable today. Unless you think that the truth of this song were just wonderful words that found their way onto the tablet of a gifted poet, I want to point out to you, her name was Frances Havergal. And there's a, there's a phrase in the middle of the song that says, take my silver and my gold. I want to read to you what she wrote to a friend of hers after she penned those. Because as, as she penned the words, and then she went back and read through them again, this is where God spoke to her. She said, the Lord has shown me another little step. I want you to think about little for just a minute when you find out what God said to her. And of course, I have taken it with extreme delight. Take my silver and my gold now means shipping off all of my jewelry to a mission where it will be sold and used to teach others, including a jewelry cabinet that is really fit for a countess. If you study her life, she inherited a fabulous jewelry collection. She shipped it all off. Now I want you to hear the end of it. She said, I don't think I have ever packed a box with such pleasure. This song, the title says it all. Take my life. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.